0: You are listening to Subtle Disruptors Melbourne. This is the first series of the podcast, Subtle Disruptors, telling the stories of those who are quietly having an amazing positive impact on their city and the world.
1: Still the body so you can sit and then de-excite your mind. I believe every single person wants this. So how do we normalise it? We don't have to shave your head or wear an orange rope? It can be in Armadale and have a normal life and have your meat and red wine for dinner but then be present with every moment of your life.
0: It was a moment of crisis that brought me to my own encounter with meditation. A ten-day silent retreat that opened my eyes to amazing results which lasted for about four days. How then to build this into our lives in a sustainable way how to build a culture where being aware of all that is happening in each moment is the norm. It is these kind of questions that led this week's guest to co-founding a studio called Happy Melon, where mindfulness and meditation are taught and are at the center of all the other aspects of what they do. I'm Adam Murray, and thanks for joining me as I talk with Marsha Garoldalova about the subtle disruption of our overexcited minds. So Marsha, so good to be here with you today to talk on the podcast. Can you start by telling us actually where we are?
1: We are in a place called Happy Melon, Happy Melon Studios, and we've got two, one on High Street and one on Willie Street in Armadale. It's a studio for, first of all, meditation, yoga, Pilates, and dynamic fitness.
0: Yeah, mm. and well, why have you chosen this as the place for us to be?
1: Place as a location or a place for us to meet?
0: Place for us to meet. Yeah.
1: I like I said, as soon as we walked in, this is home. Yeah. Um, I love everything about this. This is our pride and joy. Um, took us good two years to settle, so there is a lot of love and tears in this place. Yeah.
0: Hidden. And when you say we, who? This is your business. And yeah. yeah, yeah um,
1: this is my family. business, and I've got fantastic partners. Um, used to have three, now it's two. So we started off with Olivia Downing as a mindfulness um, lead and Simon Davey as a fitness lead, myself as a yoga lead and a silent partner. Um, Then for personal reasons Olivia Downing decided to step down for family reasons and we totally respected her space. So now it's myself, Simon and The silent partner. (laughs) (laughs) Um,
0: So, this is home, as you'd say. How long has Melbourne been home for you? I'm judging from your accent Mm -hmm. that you weren't actually born here.
1: Yeah, Yeah. Melbourne's been home for me for 14 years. Um, I came here as a 17 year old girl from Russia. And um, yeah, it's been a journey to get here. You know, I came here as a teenager really to learn English and no family or friends no language so it took a little while to actually love this country mm. um, but now I call this home travelled around with work and you know life but I always come back here yeah I've always come back here so it's feels like home English feels like my first language now um, I guess because I work for a living so it's natural to be delivering, and thinking, and creating in English. But sometimes, you know, people um, forget how hard it is to speak a different language. Someone made a comment about my English being not perfect in a joking way, and I remember being taken back and going, whoa, imagine talking, living, creating, writing in a language that you were not born with. Yeah. It takes skill. Um, I didn't get offended but it reminded me. Just go, Whoa, take some credit, sister. Yeah. <laughs> you speak in a different language and you're doing okay. Yeah. And your imperfectly perfect English actually create your persona and who you are. Just gonna hey, be okay with it. Yeah. But it took me back for like a second <laughs> and I'm going, No, that's how I am. Yeah. No. Yeah.
0: And I guess particularly picking it up as a 17-year-old or a bit later Mm. in your life as well. Like, I I don't know another language, so I've got no real comprehension Mm. of how difficult that must be. It's
1: tough, you know, and Russian is a very different way of talking. And I remember one of my teachers was saying in Russia, the language is like a freeway where cars change, pull up, go faster, go slower, and there is no order. Whereas in English, it's a train ride, one carriage after the other. You know, in a rational language, you can say, I love you. Um, No, you are love. You love I, and it means the same. In English, you can't say, You are love. Well, you can in a creative way, I guess. um, You know, it's, I love you. That's it, that's your train. Mm. So relearning that. As a 17-year-old, and I came here with zero, you know, I was nervous to go to a check-out girl that calls supermarket in case she's, she'll ask me something. Oh, I can't talk, you know? And it was interesting at the start how people assumed that you were stupid or dumb when you couldn't clearly articulate what you wanted to say or ask for directions. And I just remember it It, it just builds you up as a person, as a 17-year-old, just go, Whoa. You know, it's in your face, and no one speaks Russian here. So, okay, what are you going to do about it? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, it takes some commitment to actually keep pushing. I, I try to kick and scream and go, oh, I'll go back home and back home being be in Russia. This is too hard. I'm glad I stayed. Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad I stayed.
0: Why did you stay, and what was the what was the reason why you came, and why did you stay?
1: Yeah, I came to study English. My mum said, you know, there is opportunity out out there, and you should study another language. And English felt right. Why did I stay? I didn't want to stay. <laughs> um, they were asking me to do Year Twelve again, and I'm going, no, 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 I'm done with school. Don't really like discipline, rule, or regime. No way, I'm not going in. But I just wanted to give it a full try, I guess, now looking back at it. You know, I just did not want to go back to Russia, Siberia. Mm. I think my intuition knew that there was no future. You know, it's a very hard country to survive and to actually do what you love. You either follow the rules or leave, I guess. So my choice was to leave, or my mum's choice was to leave. And then... I think my intuition knew that this is my life. Even when I was leaving Russia, mom was saying, "You're gonna go for three months. See if you like it. Your course is three months, and then, you know, you can come back." But I knew when I was leaving that I was not coming back. I was saying goodbye like I was saying, "I'll see you never."
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: So, you know, I left the relationship there, and the relationship for me. I thought it was going fantastic, you know, I just thought, that's it, this is the person I'm going to be for the rest of my life with. You think you have a plan. <laughs> Plans are for architects, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and I just got here and I go, whoa, this is a completely different world, literally upside down. Um, think I met a girlfriend dancing salsa on Turok Croyd one night and I was working as a fishmonger yeah. because I didn't have any other... I couldn't earn money any other way, just working part-time jobs. And I remember washing my hands, so my hands don't f- smell like fish, so I can go out. You know, it was such a random time of my life. And then I went in, and I saw this girl across the room, and she was smiling. And we became sisters like that. We just started talking. Her name was Gina. She was from Colombia bogota same thing you know had an engineering background wanted to learn english came to australia again very little english she was 15 years older than me but we just became friends started kind of talking to each other but none of us could talk very well and one day she just goes where are you living i'm going oh well i don't have money i don't really know where to live i'm looking for a place because let's move in together and I go, okay. I didn't know that person, but intuition was saying, hey, do it. Yeah. And that would change my life to find a sister, where we were both struggling, um, but we had each other's back. Mm. Priceless, you know? We had no furniture, we moved into this place in um, Hawthorne, and we were sleeping on the floor, covering with like jackets and using random things for pillows. And we were crying, but we were laughing because we had each other, you know? Yeah, yeah. So that, I think, changed my love for Australia. I'm going, okay, this is tough, but I can do it yeah. if I'm not alone. Mm-hmm. And I don't talk to Jean anymore. She kind of got a job in Sydney and she's got a child and she's really happy, but she'll always be a part of my history, that little shift for me. Just go, ah, okay, I can do this. So we started to support each other and I'll go out for work and I come back and she'll cook me a meal and put a little sticky note with a smiley face. That's all I needed, you know? Yeah. It's really special. Mm. Yeah. Getting emotional about it.
0: Yeah. Good Mm. memories. Yeah. Yeah.
1: 14 years ago. Whoa. Yeah. (laughs) I was 17, 18, wow, that's awesome. Lots of things changed. Yeah. Mm.
0: And so you referred to your, your intuition a little bit even back then. Were you aware of tapping into your intuition at that time? I think every
1: girl has it. And I'm not going against boys or girls, but I think it's quite natural for a girl to go, this is my intuition and follow it and discover it. I started practicing yoga really young. um, And I think it kind of awakens it a little bit. And you can sense it. Um, I was 13, was really young when I started. And then if you cultivate it, if you listen to it, I still don't listen to it every day, I still fight it. <laughs> but you kind of go, okay, it doesn't make sense now, but if I won't try it, I'll feel worse for it. So I have to try, say, moving with this girl that I just met. If I want, what other option do I have, for example? So yeah, intuitions, you know, the... the Mother's f- intuition, the female intuition, is very um, powerful, and yet we suppress it a lot. <laughs> no, no no, 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 not quiet in that voice. And I'm sure guys have it as well. I don't know how guys experience it, probably in a different way. But for a girl, I think, being still, actually listening to it, and the earlier you start, just being quiet. That's important. Yeah, if I ever have kids, this is what I'm going to teach a boy or a girl. How do you cultivate it? Just keep listening to it. How do you listen? Close your eyes, get silent. You know, because the mind is so noisy. (laughs) It's like an army in there, doesn't stop. Slowly, slowly, we de excite our mind so we can hear the intuition and the wisdom. I hope. Sometimes it's not really wise. but. <laughs> <laughs> mm.
0: You said you started practicing yoga at a young age. Was that when you were in Russia? Or
1: yeah, yeah, when I was in Russia back home, 13-year-old. Um, Western doctors told me I've got kidney stones and my dad, they wanted to put me on medication and I would probably be still on medication now. It's pretty young for a 13-year-old get kidney stones, which is like salt in your kidneys. And my dad, which is the straightest person, he's a lawyer, follows the books, follows the rules. He just goes, I don't think it's a good idea. My daughter needs to heal. She's still a teenager. She's not developed yet. So we started practicing this ancient technique called DAO T-A-O where it's all about breathing and cultivating the energy up the spine and then releasing through movement. So as a 13-year-old, it was fun. So I was always a dancer, I was always active. So moving with this very graceful flow of breath and movement made sense. And I was just experimenting. Again, what would be the worst that could happen? It won't work. You'll do the Western medicine. So we had this weird diet of like eating a bark of a tree and then eating this like sap from a tree. Disgusting, but (laughs) I'd rather have that than Western still. One of the other exercises was to hang upside down at the door frame. I guess my mom used to be a professional skier and we had lots of ski boots. So my dad will put the ski boots at the door frame, will hang me upside down. And yep. i am just swing in there for like 30 minutes just to get the blood flow to flush it all out. And I'm the tallest in the family. <laughs> my mom is 5'3", my dad is 5'6", I'm 5'11". You know, you know yeah. I'm asking my parents why I'm so tall. And mom says, you know, because we loved you so much. <laughs> you know, you grow up in love. And my dad, the rational one just goes, you know, probably because you were hanging upside down when you were 13, <laughs> your spine stretch. Hmm, I think it's a both, yeah. combination of both. So we did tests, and then after the tests, I was clear. And I'm going, hmm, there is a little bit more to it. And I don't think I've ever been back to Western medicine. Hmm. I try not to, <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah, so that's how it all started for me
0: so when when you came to melbourne was there much of a yoga community at that time
1: not at all <laughs> just trying to think very small very traditional i didn't really practice yoga to be honest when i came here i couldn't afford it b i didn't believe in it because i was shattered because my world was shattered you know i've changed everything that i thought would be my plan back to plan then I'm going, well, stuff to plan. I'm just going to try this retail world and try to make money so I can survive. Um, I kind of went, mm, don't think I believe in this spiritual stuff anymore. Um, what got me back? I think a bad breakup, of course, the crisis gets you back into your spiritual path. And back then it was quite traditional, which sometimes I miss these days, because the industry's changed, and it's very fashionable to do yoga, and everyone wears the latest gear, and so it's sometimes I miss that traditional, slower, more connected practice. I tried to embody it, but I think I became more fire as well, so now I'm more of a fire person that's very ambitious and very passionate And I think that creates fire in our life that had to water down. Back in the days, you go, it's a two-hour practice, there's like 45 minutes pranayama, breathing exercises, and you walk out feeling yoga. Now sometimes you walk out from a yoga class feeling angrier to what you walked in because your mind hasn't stopped, your body's done postures that you didn't think you could, this person next to you was way too sweaty, so you walk out feeling like, whoa, what just happened? So you just ask yourself, why do you keep coming back? I ask myself, why do you keep coming back? But this is my religion. Mm. I hope forever.
0: Yeah. Mm. And so you got, you got to Melbourne, you'd, um, you met Gina.
1: Mm, yeah. Gina.
0: You had some plans and then all of a sudden the plans were gone. Mm. Was it in finding even that small traditional yoga community that kind of set you on a, a different path here? Or was there, you know, what, what happened at that moment?
1: Mm, good question. I don't think I had another choice. <laughs> um, I separated from my husband and went to Byron Bay to study more yoga. Because I knew there was something to it. Yeah. And then in Byron Bay I just fell in the bubble. And the bubble was a good bubble, you know, lentils and rice every day, practicing and teaching yoga for peanuts, pretty much didn't get paid. But that was my yoga, to serve the karma that was still with me from the previous relationship, even from the previous relationships in Russia. You know, we all have dharma, karma to pay back, you know, we come into relationships with people because... In the previous lives, we had some karma with them. So whatever happened in Baran Bay for me brought people into my life. Like I met my meditation teacher. Meditation was not really existent for me at the time. And I met this crazy seven feet tall German laughing guru. His hair was down to his bum. He was tall. He was full of life. And he was laughing all the time. And I looked at him and went, I want what he's got, because I like to laugh, I like to be full of life. And I thought that meditation teachers were boring. He wasn't. He drove a Harley, he still does, and he'll pick me up and we'll go for a cruise and we'll have some apple strudel. He was so German. And we talk about meditation in a way I've never been talked about, too to, about meditation. And that was my cooler, like the community, we call it in Sanskrit, where it a small, beautiful bubble, and it just felt really natural to be there. It wasn't, the grass wasn't greener, you know. I started to cross my legs and sit quietly. I started to practice asana the way I embody the movement, where I feel my liver, I feel my spleen. I go, ah, oh, there is more to it. Then just, okay, let's go into a handstand. So just, it keeps contracting and evolving. Yeah? I call it dissolve. So I dissolved into that bubble. I became one with the bubble. And then again, life threw me back to Melbourne. A random event of Grand Prix. <laughs> what? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Brought me back on the plane and I've never left. And I'm grateful that I've never left. That bubble in Byron Bay was beautiful but not sustainable. I don't want to eat rice for the rest of my life. <laughs> <laughs> I want to have a beautiful studio called home.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Um, I mean, so how long ago was that that you started to get into meditation? Or was that, have you been involved in meditation before? Was that your first introduction to it in Byron Bay?
1: Stefan was my first introduction and it was probably 2006, 2006. Um, yeah and since then I've had a love-hate relationship with it Um, like to go hardcore and all in every now and then and I went to do Vipassana
0: I've done Vipassana as mm,
1: well that was um, hardcore (laughs) for me but then I went again (laughs) so I've done two rounds tough, the second one is harder (laughs) I found of course personal experience But I just needed to embody it. Like for me, embodying it, reading on the book, like I've never gone to university. For me it's like I need to live it, Mm. understand it, and then I can teach it. Or leave it if it's not for me. So Vipassana was tough, and the idea of Anapana breath, and (laughs) Anicca, impermanence, and Nothing stays the same. Still in my system. I <laughs> close my eyes and I go, Ani-cha. means change. Nothing is permanent. Take your mind to the top of your head. <laughs> <laughs> you probably will never forget Go-wanka. that. Yeah. Go Oh, yeah. bless his heart. And the prunes for breakfast, huh? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you have to. Yeah, so I came back to St. Kilda. I was living there. And practicing vipassana once in the morning, once in the evening was so hard. Almost harder than the whole ten day silent retreat. Go, that's real discipline. Yeah. Talk about discipline, that's discipline. Didn't last very long. Life get, got in away or I just got bored. <laughs> I don't want to sit here. So just I started to find that it was torture. I go, okay, that's not for me. Started to go into mindfulness and try mindfulness techniques. Last year, I discovered Vedic meditation and transcendental, and the 20 minutes a day, uh, 20 minutes twice a day with a mantra has been working for me, to be honest. Really working, and I felt a little bit like I was cheating on mindfulness when I was studying it. But I was studying it and I was just going, okay, I'm just here for research. I just want to find out and embody it for myself. And I fell in love with it. It's simple. You can keep yourself accountable because nobody else cares. (laughs) But it's possible. It's doable. And I feel fantastic from it. When I don't practice, My eye starts to twitch. (laughs) just go, whoa, (laughs) in the room, woman. Yeah, so it's just been... I'm not a traditionalist in terms of ashtanga is the only way, ayanga is the only way. I try it all. Yeah. And then I take the bits that resonate for me. Yeah. Mm, Do you still practice vipassana?
0: I, I practice meditation, but more of an anapana. So, breath awareness yeah. meditation as opposed to a, a body scan sensation, although I do enjoy doing that from mm-hmm. time to time. Vipassana was important for me in a couple of ways, and this will lead into something that I've read in your studio as well. But for me, I had had. I think I wasn't actually. For me, my mind and my body were completely separate things up until I did Vipassana. So it was. And the body was secondary or inferior to my mind. And it was only during Vipassana that I understood, I accepted my body for one, I was able to look at my body and feel it as it was, like feel the sensation and acknowledge it. And a big part, you know, Goenka kind of talks about, you know, all misery comes from craving something you don't have or aversion to something you do have. And equanimity is seeing what you do have and you know, seeing it as it is and sitting with it and being okay with it. And they were very foreign concepts to me. They were, and it was, I found it incredibly hard as well, but it's such an enriching 10 days. And, um, yeah, so this this integration of mind and body and accepting my body and seeing how the two are one, like I am my body and my mind, like it's, it's all part of it. And I was in the toilets before we spoke and I saw... Um, you've got a poster on there that says something like by, by 2020, I think it was, a mindfulness practice will be more prevalent than a yoga practice or something along those lines. Like, What does that mean? Take us through why that's there, what mm. that vision actually means. Yeah.
1: yeah, I truly believe in it. Otherwise, this place wouldn't be here. Yeah. Um, Like you said, maybe 14, 12 years ago, yoga community was... The yoga community was very small and it was a little bit secretive and people were not advertising it and it wasn't loud. Now it's so loud that it's a little bit intimidating, but yet really inviting now everyone tries to get in. Now I do yoga with Melbourne City, used to do yoga for Collingwood Football Club. All these big companies that are reaching out, feeling and knowing the benefits. So I'm going, what's the next thing? And I feel like our society, our community is a bubble, back to bubble, that is about to burst. What heals you from actually losing yourself, your mind in this never ending, I call it a project? You know, how did our life become a project? What happened? Everyone is busy, no one's got enough time, and it's a to-do list as a project. What happened? So now I feel like this force of mindfulness and meditation will encourage people to stop, to be human, to sit, to enjoy, to hear, to sense the sensations of the body, to understand and go, oh, that's my body. Just before I got here, I was meditating and I went so deep that. It jolted me back into this life halfway through I had to open my life, my eyes because I'm like whoa I transcended really quickly into this space of nothing. And I got scared of it. Whoa, too powerful. I must come back to something I know. But that split moment, that split second, it's still with me. Whoa. This quiet space. So Yoga Asana prepares our body to meditate. Sit cross-legged without feeling the desires to move, twitch, scratch. And mindfulness, living the life as it is, is something that we all would crave organically, back to that intuition, to learn and go, oh, there is more to it. Wow, she's present. You know, you you see people talk to their kids and they're not even talking to their kids. Are you mindfully listening? Are you mindfully responding maybe it's easier for me to say because I don't have kids but how do you talk to your partners? How do you see people that make your coffee? Wow, the world will be a different place <laughs> I truly believe this and if I don't, the community we have, even if it's you and I, is enough you know I'm not craving to change the world to be honest I'm just here to share what makes me com- content. Yeah, yeah, I feel really content in where I am. This is my dharma. Yeah, to be in this, to marinate in this, and to share with those that want to hear. Yeah, mm, and this is just one little step. I feel like there is an ocean of unconditional energy that I'm too scared to step in. Like that little pause of nothing that I felt this afternoon doesn't happen often. I'm scared to step into it (laughs) when you see people without judgment, where you approach situations without anger. Just recently I've started to work with this condition of, hey, I am enough, I am good enough. And I talk about it in classes, I kind of talk about it from, "Mm -mm -mm -mm. I'm talking to you, you'll listen. And I never embodied it. And someone recently put a mirror to my face, and going, Hey, what do you think about yourself? Huh? <laughs> yeah. What? No. No, I don't do this. When someone gives me a compliment, do I really hear it? No, I don't. Do I try to prove that I'm worthy daily? Whoa! How is this possible? People tell you, you are great. You hear nothing got to do some work there, you know, leave what you, I don't want to say preach, because I try not to preach, leave what you asking others to do, mm. I go, whoa, I just had to accept that I separated myself, whoa, how dare I, we're all one, we all go through the same thing, yeah. to live this life from a, an open, wild and free heart, I wasn't there, <laughs> Maybe I'm still not there, but it's a process. Mm. Mm. Wouldn't have it any other way. I'm sure you're the same (laughs) now.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I was just like, as you were talking about, I I remember after my Vipassana experience, how amazing, like this, I'm talking about immediately after, say, for at least the first four to six days afterwards, how in the moment I was. Like, I remember seeing my boys after I came back and You know, not being able to talk to them for 10 days is pretty intense. And then seeing them again, and I remember that afternoon with them, I couldn't, now I'm starting to feel a bit emotional, I couldn't believe how amazing every moment was and how rich every moment Mm -hmm. was and how much was happening in each moment. I was able to pay attention to it so well. Um, And just the nuances and the intricacies and the sounds and the the micro-expressions on their faces. And... As time went on, that started to fade, Um, and I guess my question is, you know, well, what I what I'm getting is, and what I'm trying to bring to my own life, I think is what you're trying to do here, is, you know, that it's quite unreasonable to go away for ten days to get that experience for four days. You know, it can't be done on a sustainable basis based on where we live. Is what you're doing here trying to incorporate? that into uh into our everyday lives is that what you're trying to do here and if so how are you going about that like what it's not just a yoga studio that you've got here that's so much more can you talk to us a bit about you know what you're trying to bring to this space and the people that come here
1: mm. well the idea was about demystifying meditation every single person you meet want to know how to meditate how to steal the body i was going to say still the mind but you can't still the body so you can sit and then de excite your mind i believe every single person wants this so how do we normalize it where you don't have to shave your head or wear an orange robe you can be in armadale and have a normal life and have your meat and red wine for dinner but then be present with every moment of your life. You know, with, someone really wise said to us once, with discipline you find freedom. And sometimes when I get out of discipline, I don't feel free. Like I said, my eyes starts to twitch and I make decisions based on previous experiences. When we practice, we get into this, like, call it a bank deposit. You're putting good karma into your positive deposit. And if you do something wrong, you hear it, you feel it, and then you're putting the karma into your negative deposit. Which deposit do you want to have? (laughs) So here, you know, having yoga as flow and slow for people that want different styles of yoga, Slow for rajasic fire people like myself, to be honest. And then slower practice for people that are getting into yoga or working with injuries or want to slow down. Offering things like Pilates and dynamic fitness, where it's a normal workout, but you do it in a mindful way. So our teachers trained in mindfulness. So when you go in, people rush, tram out the front, parking, someone stole my park, Blah, 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 it's our job to calm the nervous system, to leave the to-do list behind the door, to have your digital detox, like no phone, no computers, and then at the end of each Pilates or dynamic fitness uh, class, there is a five-minute meditation, five minutes. and So they walk out mindfully, and in this beautiful meditation room, We offer lying down meditation for those that are real, I find them, you know, tired. You know, most of us need to sleep, to be honest. What we're missing is sleep. And then we sit down a lot in these meditations um, where we just 25 minutes. We calm the body, calm the mind, and then off we go into the world.
0: Yeah. For some people, uh, I think yoga is pretty well understood, and meditation might be more well understood, and mindfulness might be more well understood as well, so how, yeah, how are you bringing that into people's lives and how are you teaching that yeah, in this space?
1: We we'll try to mix two disciplines up, so we've got a membership of yoga and meditation, or fitness and meditation, so whatever flavor you have. Some people don't like yoga, so you can do Pilates, but make sure that you practice meditation. We don't hold anyone accountable. It's your life. And you, the door is open from 5.45 a.m. every day, yeah. seven days a week. The room is open and the, if there is no class, please come and join and sit down by yourself if you like. And some people do do that. And, you know, the more I talk about it, I used to be quite shy and personal about my meditation practice. But the more I started to come out with it, the more I see people... That run and CEO or CEO of big companies. go you yeah, have been meditating for 40 years. For example, I'm looking for like a mentorship. Like, what's your secret? So you yeah, have been meditating for 40 years. It's like they're coming out from the closet. It's <laughs> <Yeah>. like that <laughs> small secret that they're now. They go, oh yeah, lovey. So I want to scream it. Yeah. They used to be quite private. I'm going, no, no, no. This is like your intimate space if we share it, if you see that sparkle in someone's eye, like, what do you do? Um, so we just try to demystify it, and the classes are growing. Yesterday we had 17 people in the meditation class, which is almost as big as a yoga class. I got, oh, it's working, it's, it's faster than I thought. We've been open for a year, and I thought, take two years, give it five. If by five years no one is meditating, Maybe we have to change the formula. But it's been 13 months and yesterday we had 17 people in a meditation room. People know there is something deeper. There is, I always say in the yoga class, we all get connected to something bigger than our physical body. What is it? God, universe, energy, whatever you call it, doesn't matter. But your thoughts and your breath can be seen, but the effect of it can be felt through your kids, through your partners, through your colleagues. You can be sitting there saying nothing, but your thoughts can be felt powerful. So how do we watch it, don't judge it, let it go, dissolve? Remember Mr. Goenka used to say, that really landed for me, when he goes, when you meditate, it's like opening a scar and all the past comes out and it goes it's yuck it's ugly it's smelly but the more you watch it the more you come back the more you discipline yourself to keep coming back the scar heals and disappears forever yeah wow I want that yeah. <laughs> I don't want those scars on my body or on my mind
0: yeah
1: so it's a practice and I hope I'll get some we'll all get somewhere in this lifetime if not poof Maybe next time, maybe next
0: time. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, I went to your class yesterday, which I really enjoyed, it's the first time I've done yoga for quite some time, mm. and it's interesting what you're saying and about, you know, Goenka's saying about when you do meditation, it's like deep, deep surgery and it's not often, it's uncomfortable. and. For people that may not have meditated or had a mindfulness practice before, it might seem like there's nothing happening, or it's very boring, mm. or it's uh, it's like a a very uh, a state of elation or enlightenment. Enlightenment, but you know what I found in your yoga class yesterday that while I was doing it, I didn't find it that comfortable or that or that. Um, easy or that I was, you know, in a flow or in a, you know, blissful state. And I often find that in my meditation as well. Like it's not, it's a battle, you know, it's a, and it's a battle to not be a battle in a way. Like it's a battle of letting go and allowing. I'm supposed
1: to like this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah.
0: But, you know, after your class, it's like I was in, I, I was had an amazingly calm feeling and a calm day. And And that's what I find often, particularly when I meditate regularly, you know, it's like the pus does come out during the meditation Mm. so that it doesn't have to come out for the rest of the day.
1: (laughs) (laughs) What a nice gift we have that we can actually release it and unbottle it and pour it out so all the yummy stuff stays with us.
0: Yeah, that's Mm. right.
1: Yeah. Um, I I felt you yesterday and I'm going, I don't think he's having such a good time but then I, I had to as a facilitator I had to let it go.
0: Yeah.
1: It's I can't be responsible for anyone's happiness and I'm not everyone's teacher. Teacher is a little bit too hierarchy for me, I call facilitator. We're all in this together. Yeah. But I felt you and I felt some other practitioners yesterday. I'm going, whoa, you wish you were somewhere somewhere else. But then what happens after? That's the practice, you know, off and on the mat, off and off on and off the cushion. You know, how do we cultivate the good karma deposit? (laughs) You know, you know you're doing something good. You know you're not doing something bad. You're not taking drugs and having alcohol that is poisoning your your liver and kidneys. You know this is good. So at least that is a good start. Mm. (laughs) Let's not go too deep and meaningful. Hey, I'm stretching my hamstrings. (laughs) I'm healing my shoulder, you know. (laughs) One deposit at the time. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Mm.
0: You've been here for, say, 13 months now, is that what you... you happy, st- melon. Yeah, yeah. happy Melon. Yeah, Happy Melon. Yeah. What, this community that you're starting to draw around you, like, what are you starting to see emerge in that community based on what's happening here?
1: Wow, so much, to be honest. Some have come as yogis. They were front row, hair back, tights the latest. You know, they were ready to rock And some came to stretch hamstrings. My hamstrings are tight, I want to run a marathon in two months. And I always look back and I go, okay, no matter what brought you here, you come for flexibility, you stay for community. More than anything, when we were opening this beautiful place, more than anything it was to make the reception area stunning. So when people come in, even if you feel a little awkward, a little uncomfortable, you can do your practice, don't feel good in it, and then go back and have a cup of organic tea, and talk, and go, actually, my wife doesn't really like me, and I'm going through a divorce, and this is a place where I've come to escape. Whoa, I thought you came here to stretch your hamstrings, my friend. (laughs) And all this stuff starts to come out. And we're here to hold space, we'll call it. We're not here to heal anyone. We're not here to cancel anyone here to hold space what do you need probably flow was a bit too fast for you try yin and after yin we have a meditation class after yin your hips will be open and you can sit for 25 minutes so you choose you navigate your way in and some still find it a little bit too much and they leave they realize that they actually need this (laughs) and then they come back and they come with open arms and here we always try to meet you with a smile. This morning I was working at 5.45, we had the music on and incense burning, You know, the sense of smell. was so profound for me in Vipassana, especially for the second Vipassana, where I close my eyes and I think on day six or seven, the challenging day. My mind went into when I was five and I was making a pie with my mother and I smelled the pie. couldn't taste it, but I could smell the pie. So when I came back, first off, I said, Everyone that works here have to do Vipassana. Everyone said, You're crazy. <laughs> <laughs> no one has 10 days these days. Okay. But I said, the smell is really important to me, to everyone. Know it, not know it, conscious, subconscious, smell brings memories, healing, it's like music. It's the same thing, we've got amazing music speakers here. But for us, we wanted to bring a smell of Happy Melon. So I have a perfumerist, that is a good friend of mine, and I said, George, these are our four flavors that we like, it was four people at the time. Lemongrass, lavender, licorice, and like green tea flavor, like really subtle. So the four of us had a flavor. Can you create a smell. So George created a happy melon smell. So now when we come in, me and the girls downstairs we put the diffusers on and we try to subtly put it in the corner or upstairs in the corridor. So everyone that walks down the laneway, they can smell it already. Go, Ah, oh, I'm I'm home, you know. So that sense of belonging to someone, to something, so important. We're not alone. You know, we try to be so connected, and yet we build fences that are so thick. How is this happening? So I'm trying to, we're all trying to make the fences a little bit thinner and maybe disappear forever. And understand that what you're going through, I'm going through the same thing. Last week I was talking about feeling the feeling and staying the sensation. After the full moon, everyone went Wah, crazy. And I go, hey, you're not alone. I'm going through stuff. Yes, I'm fighting with my partner as well. You're not alone. Let's do this together as a community of like-minded people." So I think this is really important. And the fact that everyone here does mindfulness, every Monday we have mindfulness training, means that the girls at the reception, the yoga teachers, the meditation teachers, of course, and then the Pilates teachers all speak the same language. And this month of May, we're working through an attitude of letting go. So everyone in their own way talks about letting go. You know, that story of... Can I share a little monk story that I shared this morning? It's a Buddhist story that I really relate with. I tried to look away so I don't get confused on, this, on the events of the story. So it was a few monks traveling through the forest and they were going to their monastery. They had boxes to carry and uh, it was raining. They come across to a river and have to cross the river to get to the monastery. And there was a beautiful lady in a silk dress trying to cross the river, but the river was too deep, too fast. A younger monk looked at her, ignored her, kept walking across the river. And the older monk picked up the lady, put her over the shoulder, and walked through the river. After he walked through, he put the lady down, the lady just brushed off the dress and kept walking without saying thank you. Hours later, the younger monk reached for the older monk and he says to him, how dare you, how ungrateful was she? She didn't even say thank you. The older monk goes, I've put her down hours ago. Why are you still carrying her?" And I'm going, oh, <laughs> So profound and simple. And I'm going, how many times do I carry somebody else's baggage? Probably daily. Let it go. Yeah. Not serving me, not serving them. Whoa, it's liberating. Let's keep moving. And sometimes I get stuck on the story. Oh. One week ago, this person said this, that person moved on. Why are you still carrying this? That little story really reminds me of it, you know? So I think it makes us all stronger teachers as well. So we as facilitators need to find a way how to embody the letting go and actually share it from the embodied experience rather than from page 26 book number 17 (laughs) you know yeah Mm. yeah
0: I've got two questions that I ask as we wrap up the first one is uh, what do you daydream about this podcast is called Subtle Disruptors what's something you daydream about disrupting or subtly disrupting in the future or even where do you imagine you know where do you dream of this going what you're doing here
1: I often dream dream of holidays, (laughs) that's my daydream, guilty pleasure, (sighs) take myself into a place I've never been, or I had a really good time, that's my happy place, that's my drug, (laughs) call it drug. And where I see Happy Melon is huge, (laughs) I haven't told my partners yet, but I want about 20 or fifty. I am not humble about it. (laughs) I want one in Singapore and Hong Kong and Bangkok and Copenhagen and America, Mexico. Those places that I've traveled, like I remember in Hong Kong, I had a great time there. But it's so congested and everyone is so busy. That bubble is going to burst really soon. So how do we lovingly go, hey, slow down, come here. <laughs> and I want the place to be beautiful. Maybe there is a couple more in Melbourne. Maybe there's one in Perth. Maybe one in Sydney. I don't know. But I want to say it out loud. I'm not shy about it. You know, some people, no, 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 that's my secret. I'm going to hold it. It's not serving, not me. Maybe my business partners will go, you're crazy, Russian. <laughs> but I just feel like a Happy Melon Retreat somewhere in the Dandenongs or Lawn, somewhere beautiful. You know, Queensland or New South Wales got beautiful places where you can escape and eat organic food and do beautiful meditation and yoga, Tai Chi and I can't think of one here. So something is not making sense. Let's open a Happy Melon Retreat. So the doors are open. For endless, and I never saw it as a small, quiet studio. I want to scream meditation. (laughs) As funny as it sounds, um, let's talk about this. Let's not be in the closet for 20 years. (laughs) You know? um, I see it and I believe it. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Mm. My last question is about something small that you've done in your own life that's helped you along this journey that might be useful for other people to hear and it's probably pretty easy to say something like yoga or meditation but is there something else that you know comes to mind apart from those things that you've done that you know is a subtle simple thing that's had a profound impact on where you are today hmm.
1: deep question <laughs> Like I said, it's easy to say yoga and meditation. You know what really helps me? Singing in the car. <laughs> <laughs> I sang in the car twice today and it just gets me out of my head. Um, just something simple puts a smile on my, on my face. <laughs> um, I live in the now and remember... About the dash, another story I wanted to share to finish it off. Talking about it the other day, you know, you walk around in the cemetery, not that I ever do, but imagine yourself walking around in the cemetery and you see the tombstones, yeah? Lucy, birth date, death date. We focus on those two numbers a lot, we forget to focus on the dash. What happened between? the born day and the death day, the dash. Can we simply enjoy this? Catch yourself, pinch yourself, going, hey, I'm driving, I'm here. So how come my body is here in Armadale and my mind is somewhere in Turkey? Do something that reminds you to go, hey, I'm here. And um, that's the hardest thing though, like to focus on the dash. But I find you go, hey, all I have is the dash, this moment. Sing. That brings you here. <laughs> you know, you just brings you into this huh, body, smile, boom. Maybe tears, maybe you needed to cry. Uh, I hope I answered this question. I probably will think about this question for many months after. I yeah. should have said this, but this is just what came naturally from the heart. <laughs> I
0: think it's a great answer. Yeah, I think it's really good. Mm. Thank you so much for sharing thank you, Adam. openly today. Thank you for having mm. me here. It's, it's been amazing to sit in this uh, beautiful, peaceful meditation room. And uh, you really have created a beautiful, peaceful, inviting place here. So mm. thank, you.
1: thank you for reaching out. We meet for a reason,
0: huh? Yeah, indeed. You're welcome. Thank you. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode of Subtle Disruptors. I hope you got something out of it. I'd love to hear your thoughts on the show, including any suggestions you have for guests you can get me on email through adam at subtle disruptors.com. And if you enjoyed listening and would like to be part of getting the word out about the subtle disruptors of Melbourne, a great way to do this is through jumping into iTunes and rating and reviewing this podcast. I'm Adam Murray, and I look forward to hearing about your own subtle disruption. Bye for now.